Hey, Matthew. So uh, we've known each other for uh, at least a few years. I don't know how far back. Um... Oh, I think it's, yeah, between five and ten. It's, it's gone real yeah, quick. It's, I can it's... remember at least 2018. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, know it's, I know it's been a while. Um, and so a little bit about, like, how we met. Um, I think it was through a Construct 3 group yes construct two two construct Construct three back then yeah that's right so for anybody who's listening construct two and three are kind of low to no code game engines and so that's kind of that's kind of i don't know i guess we did we start talking in the forum or how did that even yeah um we had similar sort of uh ideas for where we wanted to take development using construct two um we went back and forth a little bit on some forums and i think i had some ideas that you sort of liked the idea of and we discussed them and just went from there okay okay yeah that that makes sense so um so what are you doing are you are you working as a developer now or why don't you why don't you give me a little bit about your uh programming background and so forth yeah okay um so <laughs> being, being wearing a lot of different hats over the years uh so i started off full stack web development so did a lot of that then i transitioned into python and java development as well so i've got a background in that too uh, done a lot of government projects and things like that um right now i've been training for the last seven years i've been training other people in cybersecurity, full stack development and programming so um not so much on the game development front that's still very much more of a, a passion of mine but sort of just the the indie dabbling so to speak um in terms of what i'm doing with game development at the moment mainly again just the, the small projects I, I like to do a lot of it myself rather than frameworks i like that sort of additional challenge you know of uh, reinventing the wheel so to speak so hmm. right yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, all right. So we met on, I guess it was Construct Two Forms. Um, I do yeah. remember we we kind of, um, you know, we were both working on different kind of games. I was doing some kind of a uh, a space shooter, but kind of an, with an kind of an exploration style thing, and um, and you were yeah. doing um, exact same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing some stuff where, where you know, and they were two D games. So, um, mm-hmm. you had showed me like some UI of landing on a planet, and maybe kind of purchasing, or doing some sort of trading, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Is that is that yes. ring a bell? <laughs> yes, that's that's exactly it. I'm quite surprised you you remember that. That was quite a while ago. That's that's awesome. Yes, that that's exactly what it was because uh, we found Construct Two at the time didn't have a, a dedicated way to make a a UI, so um, you know you could pop up the random uh, controls so to speak, but you know if you wanted to do a uh, a UI for purchasing items, like if you wanted to allow the player to do that, there wasn't a dedicated way to uh, bring up a menu and then track the statistics of what's clicked on and the quantity and all of that sort of stuff. It was less robust um, in that regard. So yeah, that that's was um, 
something I was posting about. I was trying to work out if there was a, a way to actually do that in a much nicer method because uh, it didn't seem to, which I guess is one of the downfalls of um, any of those uh, WYSIWYG, so to speak, uh, editors. You know, you're always confined within the features that they give you. Um, you could extend it if they allow extensions, but you're largely sort of kept hostage, so to speak, with the features and functionality they give you, and you're sort of boned <laughs> uh, if you want anything outside that scope. Yeah, I, I definitely, I seem to remember you running into issues with um, displaying the UI and doing some kind of uh, different things on that side of, side of it. Um, UI, I think, is, I mean, these days, you can pretty much go and buy a UI system and and drop it into most game engines but back then it was yeah it was it was difficult that was I, yeah. I wouldn't say it was the hardest thing but no and i think the the hardest adjustment for me was coming from a background of you know always um doing things myself cuz i started off making uh non flash web based games so a lot of javascript um for a lot of the logic uh you could do anything you know it's like oh, i want to do this how am i going to do this okay and then your brain just unpacks it you write it all down you plan it and then you start development and the world's your oyster whereas working with construct 2 you know you, you come into it with this existing sort of freedom mindset and then you got to think oh how do i funnel that idea into this mm. more narrow scope Mm -hmm. And inevitably, you find things you you can't do within that feature set. Right, right. Um, Have you tried far... Construct Three? Yes. So, I mean, a little bit, not, um, not a ton. Um, I did play around with it some. Uh, I don't know. I've I, I somehow wound up with a six month subscription or something at some point because it's all subscription based now. I don't think it was back when we used two. I think two was was buy buy to use. Yes, um, but three is subscription based. It's like uh, actually, let me look. Um, I think it was, and I think that was I think that was the biggest reason why I didn't transition as well. Um, also, the you know the more limited scope. I'd rather do it myself and be able to do what I want. Um, right, but yes, the, the subscription-based model as well was a, a bit of a bit of a killer. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's subscription-based. Um, I wonder how much it is. Let's see. We're gonna look. We're gonna look and see what Construct Three is going for. Um, it is now up to one hundred and twenty-nine ninety-nine annually. Um. Four sixty nine for a business and education. They are now charging thirty two ninety nine per seat annually for education use. Um, hmm. that's kind of a lot. I mean, yeah. I mean, I I'd be interested to. Sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. Ah, oh, I was just saying I'd be interested to see how much it differs from Construct 2 to justify the subscription model, um, especially mm. when you've got um, a lot of other ways to develop um, 2D games, especially. You know, you could just use Unity 
which is free for the base copy. Yeah, let's it's... not go there. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes, no, I don't which, like uh, it either, but you got are, options. <laughs> the, um, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for for a something with that sort of UI, are you familiar with um, what is it called? Uh, G Develop, I think. G Develop. Uh, yeah, have yes, you heard I of? am. What's yeah, that? that's um, cross-platform, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's completely cross-platform now. Um, they've done a whole like lot of a lot of updates. It's no code. You can code if you want, but um, they have a really good, uh, really good system for um, for logic. Uh, works really well. I've used that probably a good bit too. Okay. Um, you, I've been um... using. I've been using Have it you on and off. With Go dot? Yeah, uh, a little bit. Oh no, you're fine. Um, Go dot Godot. Uh... Godot, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna add links to uh, the show notes for all these engines for anybody that's interested. But um, it's yeah, I Go dot. I've been following them around for a bunch of years, just kind of watching development and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and I never pulled the trigger. I, I guess I I have like I've tried it a few times, but it I I probably never gave it a fair shake to where you know I sat and built out a game on it or you know anything like that. Um, it just felt somewhat counterintuitive to me. But yes, it's just me. You know, I know there's lots of people um, that use it. I've had long talks with several developers that have launched games on it. Um. There's a little indie studio, two guys, they've put, I think they're on their second or third game now with Godot. Um, and, you know, their games are on Steam. They're they're very good. I've played both of them. Um, but I don't know. I'm not sure why Godot just hasn't really clicked um, for me, but uh, I think it's got kind of a Python-y syntax. So anybody that's used Python should feel somewhat at home with it. What about you? Have you given yes. it a shot? Uh, I have had a brief look at it, sort of the reverse to you. So I've had a bit of a poke around and a look at Godot, but I haven't been doing much more than observing GDevelop. So sort of the flip side of you there. Um, mm. We've both monitored different programs. They're, they're similar in approach. They they both because um, they're cross platform. You know, you can write web based games that use JavaScript mm. and HTML5 and CSS and all of that. Um, so they're similar in approach in that regard. Um, obviously, as well, you can build a bit more advanced games uh, mm. in either of them as well. So. Godot, you can do a, a uh, 3D as well that supports. But like you said, it's a bit more of a python syntax. Um, mm -hmm. If you're familiar with that, it's good. But I think what lured me over to uh, Godot was the, the dedicated 2D engine, um, mm. which I found quite easy to wrap my head around. Um, mm. So it wasn't, wasn't too bad. Um, but again just small sample projects, you know, to, to really just get a feel for the engine and see what it could do. Um, right. 
depending on when you last looked at it, it did go through a rather large update. Um, I think it was a year or two now. Went through quite a big update. So it's a lot better now than it was. Um, mm. So it might be worth a look again. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll probably wind up taking another look. Um, I've been... <sighs> I've been kicking around, you know, making an, making another game or um, something. I just haven't. I've, I've been so busy with my startup and, um, you know, a lot of this other stuff I have going on. So I just recently got back into Android development, which okay. I kind of kind of dabbled in, but um, kind of taken more seriously now. So, you know, I'm hoping to kind of brush up and uh, build out something and then maybe do some job hunting um, and or uh, freelancing, you know, just just depending on how things go. But um, uh, but yeah, Godot's always kind of, I've, I've always been watching it and kind of cheering it on from the sidelines, <laughs> mostly <laughs> because uh, I've seen Unity and Unity started out being very, very, very user friendly. And then Mm. Um and very when I say user friendly, I also mean non corporate. Like they were, you <laughs> yes. know, very much kind of uh I don't know, they were just they were really cool. Um It's more down to earth. Yeah, and now they've they've become more corporate. I think they got didn't they get um procured by somebody? I'm actually not sure. Yeah, um, I'd have to have a look. They either merged or procured or got procured by a company that used to make uh, spyware. Uh, huh. I believe. Right um, uh, let me let me see if I can find the information on that. Uh, oh yeah, here we go. Um, Iron Source. They merged with Iron Source in twenty. Yeah, Iron Source. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what it was. Uh, Iron Source. So pretty sure Iron Source used to make spyware back in the day. Um, you know, or at whatever you want to call it, you know, where it would basically throw ads up on your screen, no matter what you did. And then you had to figure out how to, um, there was some blowback over this a little while back. It seems like everything that Unity's done recently has been, there's been blowback over and they just keep making these steps toward uh, driving away all their developers. Um, mm. So this, this recent one, um, I came across this on game from scratch on YouTube and great, great channel. Yeah. That channel is awesome. That guy is on top of all the shit. Like he watches engines like a hawk and anytime mm -hmm. something pops up, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. At, uh, he anytime you know all the every time I've looked for some sort of new engine to play with, I just go to his channel and just scroll through, and likely I'll find something that hasn't been touched on in a while. Or, um, you know, I, I found a bunch of really good. Oh, sorry, I just got a pop up. I didn't know if that came through or not. Um, was it from Iron Source? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, that's funny. Um, 
So it says effectively effective January 1st, 2024, we will introduce a new Unity runtime fee that's based on game installs. We will also add cloud-based asset storage, Unity DevOps tools, and AI at runtime at no extra cost to Unity subscription plans this November. So Unity runtime is installed every single time you install one of their games from the way I understand how it works. Um, so they want to charge a fee every time somebody installs one of their games. Um, now they do have some, some criteria. It looks like um, unity personal and unity plus. It says those that have made $200,000 USD or more in the last 12 months and have at least 200,000 lifetime game installs. Um, so, like, you know, you might look at that and be like, oh, okay, that's no big deal, you know, um, I'm going to be fine. But there are some some indie devs that have made $200,000 and have at least 200,000 lifetime game installs. So, the way this whole thing reads... Um, is that if you if you meet those two criterias, essentially every install above that um, that two hundred thousand. Um, let me see, two hundred thousand. Uh, yeah, you're gonna pay yeah, 20, twenty cents per install, right? And that's mm. per install. That's not per purchase. Mm -hmm. So every every time you uninstall the game and reinstall a game, you're going to pay 20 cents. Yeah. I, I don't... Like, I think that's a rather predatory way to go about it. Yeah. I, I... <laughs> um, I mean, the, the biggest caveat that that makes me think of, we're in an age where so many people will grab a pitchfork and go against a developer for any number of reasons. And mm -hmm. all it's going to take someone now is if they buy the game, reinstalling it as many times as they want. Technically speaking, everyone could band together and basically do a mass install and basically just make the indie dev get charged. Right. They could fuck any um, developer over, no matter who it is. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I mm, but you know, it gets, it gets yeah. less per, you know, like if you're on unity pro, you know, the, the price per install is less because you know you're paying a subscription already, which if you're fucking paying a subscription, excuse my French. Yep. Why are they no, then going to right. charge you for, at any point for for installs? Yes. Um, yeah, that's that's my biggest problem with it as well. Um, yeah, I don't agree with that. If they're going to, if they're trying to seek more income, you know. I guess you might lose people over it as well, but probably less than this, but, you know, package it into your plans, raise the rates and say, you know, in line with, you know, how we're trying to expand the business model, you know, offer more support, da 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 da, da. The, the costs have risen to, you know, X value, um, and then put an effective date there, at least, you know, because you're not building it in, in a way that's seeming like you're penalizing you're paying customers or even your free ones but you're not penalizing your uh 
consumer base, your right. users. Whereas this, this is almost a penalty in, in a way. It's like, oh, cool, your game's successful. So in addition to, you know, you've bought our pro- a license to use our program as a service, we're going to add you an additional cost on top of that now that you didn't originally sign up for. Um, I expect a lot of people are probably going to have to reevaluate how they move forward uh, using that. Yeah, I think, you know, there, there's there been a lot of stuff where people are like, all right, well, this is kind of the last draw. We're going to switch to Godot or something. But none of those things have been as bad as this. <laughs> like, this is, this is freaking serious because they aren't covering, like, as of January 2024. So they put it out far enough, but it's the the way I understand it, it's retroactive too. So if you've already hit that threshold, like you're fair game, you know, you're going to get, you're going to start getting charged. What if, you know, you don't support your game anymore. What if it's just been sitting on, on steam or something, you know, and all of a sudden you're going to start getting charged by unity. Um, yeah. And it's, and, you know, what if it cripples you to the point where you're no longer a business, so you, you can and you go back to working in a development firm or whatever, but your game is still live? Are they then right. going to still charge you so you've basically got incoming bills from Unity then on top of that? <laughs> um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, imagine, imagine if let's just glorify it for a moment and just say we made the next Minecraft um, and we made it in uni, uh, unity, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, you know, obviously a, a glory situation, but you know, if you've got 30,000 installs a day at the smallest, you know, mm-hmm. that, that adds up, especially if you're an, you're an indie dev, um, you know, who may or may not have planned for that accordingly to to begin with i suppose like you said there's enough time now but i think that retroactive application is really going to hurt a lot of people right because it, it also too it takes into it doesn't take into consideration um games that you're giving away for free games that are wind up on bundles games that you know people pirate like yeah <laughs> Um, you know, you're going to get charged for pirated copies of your game now. Yeah. And get no income for it. Right. Um, And you're not getting income off any game that was given away for free or, you know, given away as part of a, whatever, a bundle, you know, when they go on humble bundle and stuff, usually you're not putting it on there to, um, you know, yeah, they do like charity, so it's sort of like you're giving some away to charity, but you're not making yeah. that much on it. You know, no, it's not. You don't put it up there with the intent to use it as a marketplace. It's either you know right. a little bit of additional exposure, but also you know for a good mm. cause. So it's sort of give and get. Um, mm-hmm. mm. Right, and so now you're going to get charged by Unity for you know if you're if you're past whatever threshold they sent they set. Um, you're, you know, you're kind of screwed. And even, even companies that aren't necessarily all that indie, you know, they've, they're making, well, like you said, if they, you know, Minecraft as a, for instance, you know, um, or some of these other companies that have made 
game platforms where people can make stuff kind of in their game. Uh, and now, you know, you're going to get charged every time somebody installs a free, <laughs> free game, you know, cause that, you know, a lot of places charge, like it doesn't take into account kind of that mobile setup. You know what I mean? Where people pay mm. in, uh, within the game for, uh, like items or stuff like that, like free to play games, I guess, you know? So basically anybody that downloads a free game is going to get, you know, if, if, if you've hit that 200,000 minimum download, which on Google play free games hit that kind of number all the time. Mm -hmm. So you're going to start paying money, unity money for games that, aren't that aren't making you any it's such a bizarre i option or idea yeah i i'm not a big fan of it and i haven't dabbled with unity for quite a while so what i'm gonna say could be wrong or uh go off on a tangent that's not necessarily applicable but i do know that historically a lot of games or some games uh, especially by indie developers who are, you know, they're producing their first or second game. They're still getting their feet where they're not quite across a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. Patching. So if your game doesn't support incremental patching um, and people are basically having to, to re-download and reinstall the entire game every single time, mm. um, you know, how's that going to trickle up the costs? Right. Yeah, this just uh this just feels like a really bad 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 move. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, very really, very polarizing. Really I don't I yeah. don't foresee a lot of people I mean, a lot of people are going to reevaluate. They're going to look at this now and have to uh regardless of you know their their model for how they've built themselves up. I think you know, the additional costs, I mean, even if it's not crippling for the business, that it might be enough to be, you know, the final straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak. They might decide, well, okay, I'm not going to support them anymore, and then they have to go find another engine. Um, right. You know, is this, is this starting to set a bad precedent as well for, you know, other engines, you know, hopefully they don't, but, you know, are other engines going to start considering doing the same, you know? If it works for Unity, as bad as it is, are they going to start trying to, to do the same thing? Because Unreal's been doing it for a, a while with their, um, you know, you earn over a threshold, but they don't charge per install even. But right. um, back Which, when they were... Go ahead. I don't I don't feel like that's a negative. Like No. If, if no. you, you know, and, you know, Unity's done the whole subscription thing. Basically, if you, if you make over 200,000 minimum... Then you pay that. Then you you have to use the pro version, which is a monthly fee. That's totally fine, yeah. you know. Like yeah. that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But charging for an install can can yeah. make that you know you're going to go from paying fifty bucks a month to paying forty thousand dollars for two hundred thousand installs. Like that's a huge chunk of change, especially if you're an indie dev whose game has just exploded for some reason which happens that's it yeah that's what minecraft was you know 
He just started at a small game, uh, Marcus Person. Did, he didn't think it would take off and become that popular. And then just everyone started picking it up and it just, you know, thousandfold yeah, in a day just took off. Or um, so, what's another one? What's that gardening game that's done so freaking well? That um, Which one? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so many Sims. I, did I, these days. A blank. You know, I know it's 2D. Come on, name some. It's 2D. It's a. Uh, you basically. Oh, Stardew Valley. Yeah, Stardew Valley. Like that thing took off. Um, yep. You know, yep. small, small game that he just, you know, was developing because he was bored or, you know, needed, you know, was just kind of yearning for some sort of like break from the craziness of living in a city and all this. And so he makes this little game and it freaking blows up and he's still working on it. You know, still adding on to it. I think he's just about done, but I think he said the last big update was going to be the final one. But, you know, he's, it's, it's paid him well enough to, to do that for a living. Um, you know, I'm certain that he's had well over 200,000 insoles and made over $200,000. Um, Definitely. Especially because it's on uh, so many sales platforms. Right. So you have somebody like me, for instance. I will play a game and then I'll uninstall it. You know, I'll play another game. I'll uninstall it. Um, you know, and these days with games getting so big, you have to conserve hard drive space unless you're mm-hmm. just like adding more and more external hard drives, which I don't do, but maybe some people do, but I don't think, I think most people do what I do and they just uninstall games when they're done with them. Um, I'll come back later. I'll be in a mood. Uh, you know, I might play this. Like for instance, I just reinstalled dead space 2008 and I've been playing through that. Um, you know, but that dev using unity is going to get charged 20 cents for my fucking download and install. (laughs) Yep. And then you got people like me who similarly, you know, have a game uninstalled three years later, get the vibe to play it again. We'll install it. And then change our mind once it's installed, and then just uninstall it again, and you know, without even knowing, I've just charged that developer for my my change in mind. So right, right, you know, it's an extra kick in the teeth. I have done that too. Just like, uh, you know what? Not in the mood for this game. <laughs> it was a great idea until I installed it. <laughs> I just, I just uh, used you know, eighty gigs of data, and now I'm not playing the game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> such a uh, far cry to the past though you know the old dial up days <laughs> yeah yeah man you would not it, be doing that back then it takes me hmm, it might take me of maybe two to three hours to download 60 to 80 gigs i think mm-hmm. last time i it's checked great great time great time to live for internet <laughs> yeah for real oh, even that i'm just like jesus is this thing done yet let me look, I know, look. right? It's like it's, p- perpetually, it's as technology advances, we just get more and more impatient. Yeah, we really do. Uh, you know, where where I live, we have two internet providers. One is on one side of town, and one is on the other side of town, and they won't cross pollinate. Um, so I can't order internet from the other guy. I have to get it from the provider on this side of town. And wow, yeah, it's so weird. But I think I get, I get four hundred 
Meg's down. Um, which is pretty good. Um, but on the other side of town, I think the other side of town, they just put in fiber and I had them for a little while and I could get a gig for 75 bucks. I think a month. Crazy. Um, I think I pay like, pay like 55 bucks for, for 400. Um, but I mean, honestly, yeah, really. What do you, what do you, uh, what are you working with? Have you got tissues handy? Oh, uh, yes, I am. <laughs> I am ready to shed some tears, my man. <laughs> <laughs> Australia's always played catch up. Uh, I think I could get the date wrong, but probably I think it was like eight, eight seven years ago something like that we started getting fiber laid everywhere um we've we've still got quite a lot of copper networks everywhere mm. um mm-hmm. <clears throat> so i've got we they've got because they like to red tape everything there's different fiber plans based <laughs> on like how the houses are built you can get fiber to the curb which is obviously mm-hmm. Uh, to the street but then you still have copper wiring from your house to the street so you've got a little <laughs> bottleneck oh what yep you're kidding yep. me or you can have no no <clears throat> or there's a uh, fiber to the premises which is literally ftp and it's you know fiber built straight to your house which is what a lot of the, the newer developments have so that's what i had but even with fiber to the premises I'm still paying ninety nine dollars for a hundred down. Oh my god! So I guess in American dollars, a hundred is probably whew, sort of fifty five, maybe something like that. Wait, is your money worth more than ours? I don't know. No, less. I've gone backwards. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, sixty four U S dollars. So I'm paying sixty four U S. Okay, you're paying sixty four U S. Okay. All right. Yeah, for for a hundred down. Yeah, that's that's still a um a good bit, and that's so, amazing to me. I mean, it's, it, that's not terrible. No. Um, so the the fiber company that we had. All right, so I live in a rural area. Okay, so typically what we were dealing with was be- before that. So this was just uh, what did I think they brought the fiber in in twenty nineteen. Um. So my town went from having to deal with uh, essentially fast dial-up. Um, they called it, uh, oh, what was it called? Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was like five times faster than dial-up, basically. It was nothing. Is that your um, um, ADSL or DSL? Yeah, DSL. Yeah, that's what it was. So we had DSL. It was the closer you were to their node, the faster your internet was. Mm-hmm. We were we were out too far, so we were getting five <laughs> megabits, five, and they were like, "Oh, wow. it's high speed!" Like this shit is not high speed. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so then our electric company, which is was a co-op, they connected with another co-op in Missouri to bring the fiber in, and with their goal of being connecting all of their rural customers with fiber internet which is great. So they ran all this fiber on their poles, on their you know electric poles. Um, 
And then if you bought the service, they would connect you up. They'd run it from the pole to your house. Um, if they had to dig a trench, they'd dig a trench. You know, just whatever it took to uh, to get it to your house. Um, and they paid for it. Um, and it turned out to be a huge, huge hit for them. So they, you know, they more than made their money back on the installs. But um, most companies wouldn't do that. They would charge you to mm. to bring the fiber from the pole to your house. Um, you know, I've heard some people say that, you know, they had to spend like, you know, $2,000, $5,000, $10,000 to bring fiber up to their house from the pole. Wow. Um, which is just insanity. Um, they were like, nope, if you, um, you know, you, you pay for a service. Um, it is a sort of contract, I think. So like they wanted you to have the service for maybe a, what's it a year or two? Maybe it was a year. Um, but they, they didn't write it too well because I found a loophole. <laughs> um, I had to move out of the, the house we were living in about, about six to eight months after, um, after we got it. And at the time we didn't know it was, it was a contract. Um, but they said that you had to keep the service for, you know, they didn't say you had to stay in a residence. Um, so I checked where we were moving to and they were like, oh yeah, you, you, you have, um, you have our fiber there. You'll be fine. You know? So we went ahead and moved. And then when I called them to get it, you know, switched, they were like, Oh no, you can't, um, you're going to have to pay $200 penalty for, for canceling the service. I'm like, we didn't cancel, didn't the, service. cancel the service. Exactly. So they had it written in their contract that you had to keep the service but they did not have it written in the contract that you had if the service had to be at that residence. Um, so I got a hold of, you know, a bigger wig who was like, Oh no, don't worry about it. You know, we've, um, we're waiving that, you know, that fee, blah, blah, blah. So, um, so it worked out and we got it moved. Um, and then we kept the service for another couple years, um, before Corona hit and, um, I was working in the oil field at the time, so I was making really, really good money. And then when that crashed, um, you know, I had to downsize. So, uh, so we moved and wound up on the wrong side of town. <laughs> no, it's not really the wrong side, but we just, uh, <laughs> we, we aren't big fans of that, uh, of our current electric company and internet providers, but. Um, right, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like that out here. It's um, down here, it's a bit of the wild west. You know, mm. you've got one company that outsources all of their uh, support networks to overseas, so you can barely get assistance when you need it. And then you've got uh, one that does the same but charges more, but has the monopoly on all the lines. <clears throat> They have the better, better performing lines, so you know it's sort of the the better of the two evils, so to speak. So you know, right, you pay right. more to get the better service 
internet service but still struggle with support or what do you do uh in recent years there's been a better one which is um all using support staff that are within the country and it's all owned by you know people in the country and it's just like just all for the the country itself so they've taken off quite a lot because they've got uh similar similarly great support and speeds to the the larger one but mm. much better service and the pricing's better as well so they've obviously take uh gone up but what i found most interesting in what you said about how you know some over there you'd have to pay to get the lines to your house and everything over here the government controls all of that mm. the the entire underlying infrastructure they mm, actually over the course of several years went around and did all of the upgrades that they needed to so every every house that's connected to it has a government owned uh nbn box we call it the national broadband network um and that's so every house has that and all the underground wiring is all done by the government and then Hmm. all the the plan providers use the government lines for that okay oh interesting that's crazy yeah so i thought that was pretty interesting because then yeah there's no additional cost to the the consumer you don't pay to Mm -hmm. get that uh, rehooked up. Uh, right. We do still have some pockets where you know there'll be some some properties that are older and don't have access to it. I think largely by now they probably all have access to it. Yeah. Um, well, but, so you know, like, so with our fiber, um, you know, they 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 basically bring in a fiber line right from the pole. They yeah. run that line to your house. Yep. They put a little box outside of your house and then they Same take here. another they take another little line right inside and plug it into your uh uh your modem. So there yep. there's no need for it to worry about copper wires or any of that. Um so that seems weird to me that that you still have to deal with you know, like copper wire or anything like that. So I wonder well, how that's, that's only the older properties. To. Yeah. That's only the older properties. There, there was something that they, with older properties, they hmm. decided that they weren't going to, I don't know the specific criteria, hmm. but they decided that they weren't going to, um, you know, for every single house that needed it, you know, um, mm-hmm. rip up every, cause the government's doing it and they don't want to do it to every single house yeah so they they did it for all the new ones uh or the new developments or the the within i think a three-year period or something like that but Mm -hmm. you know if someone's got a 20-year-old house in the middle of the suburbs depending on the suburb um they'll go around and and do it but there'll be some older properties as well that they've got all the old fiber so the government says well okay we'll do it to the street side we'll do it to the curb for you um, mm. you know, and then it's copper from your house to, to the curb. So oh, that's so weird. Yeah, huh. I know. It's like, here, we're going to give you this solution that improves everything, but not actually improve it. Cause we're going to leave your <laughs> bottleneck there. Thanks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like with, with ours, yep. they don't, they don't do <gasps> a connection from the pole to some sort of existing wiring. Like they literally just run a fiber line. 
from the pole to your house. Yep. Which yeah, to the um, to the box, the, and then yeah, into yeah, your garage the, or whatever, and yeah, yeah wherever you switch. want it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so you they they're like, okay, where do you want to put it? You know, well, put it in the central area. You know, living room by the TV. You know, okay, so we'll just run it over here. You know, and um, and that's pretty much it. Um, I'm trying to think where we put it in the first house, but yeah, it's it was pretty easy. Um. Uh, it's so weird how it's different from country to country, too. Um, yeah. Well, I'm just looking up, you know, the major differences now. It doesn't surprise me. Fiber to the curb is cheaper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that explains why <laughs> for a lot of the older properties, they just did that right. instead. Because, so you know, they're, they're ticking the boxes for the constituents. If If they're, like, my question is, what are they hooking it up to? Like, cable? line oh, I'd, I'd you know like much, to be honest that, that's the weird thing like what would they even anyway i'm just you know running my mouth so i don't expect you to have all the answers on this yeah no no <laughs> you're, you're answer all, all my questions but, um... damn it <laughs> well you see that's my problem because i train everyone in full stack and everything now so i'm used to as soon as someone gives me a question i fire an answer back <laughs> um like does it but, matter but if it's yeah right? no <laughs> <laughs> Just answer 42 to everything. Right, 42. Um, Douglas Adams. What? <laughs> so you, you don't know that of... reference? No, I don't. I'm sorry. 42. Oh, Hitchhi- Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, okay. Sorry. No, I have not actually. Um, you have to see that. Now I'm looking it up. Uh, accurate answer to life. Oh, yeah, 42. I do vaguely remember something about that uh, yep the answer to the ultimate question of life the universe and everything so you get a question you don't know the answer just say 42 nice <laughs> i'll do that um so what kind of what kind of game development are you are you doing now or are you at present uh so what i'm really doing at the moment a lot of it's just work to be honest, I'm not doing as much game development. Um, but the larger things that I'm trying to do, I, I, I'm really on a physics kick at the moment. So mm. just to sort of stretch my brain, I'm trying to make a physics engine. Um, oh, okay. Just a, two, just a 2D one, just to yeah. give that a go. I haven't spent a lot of time on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also made a I made an A-star pathfinding um, I just implemented a star pathfinding for, for 2d, which was, um, interesting to try and wrap my head around from scratch. And that's, mm. that's why I like to sort of do all these self-coding projects mm-hmm. because I find a lot of developers, indie developers, at least they lose a lot of the the ability or they don't chase getting that ability when they can just get it with a framework. It's just, you know, let's load up unity for example, and let's just add a physics controller and I'll look, it's all there and I'll just set some values, but you lose that sort of deeper understanding of exactly how it works. Um, (laughs) But that sort of deeper understanding of how it works, that's what I like to, to chase. So Mm. uh, in usual to go back to uh, the construct days, 
you know, I've made a uh, script that randomly generates a star field. Um, whenever you, when you run it, it runs and generates a star field of about 500 stars, and then um, they're all color coded with temperatures and stuff. So you know, you've got your K class stars and whatnot. So um, yeah, so all different ones there and you can click on one and then it loads up another solar system and then you'd have your, your planets and everything rotating around it. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of like a conquest type game. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I've got a script that generates all of that uh, and I've totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, we went from oh. physics to talking about that and I swear there was a correlation. Um <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, but you're not wrong. Like, you know, when when I think about making a game, the last thing I really look, I really all that interested in is making the underlying um, stuff that you need, like physics. You know, mm. I'll just grab a library and implement it. Or, uh, you know, in the in the case of a no code. <laughs> Uh, you know, just use it and it does what it's supposed to do without you having to uh, deal with it. But, um, yeah. And I mean, that's, it's still good. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's what you have to do realistically. Like if you're going mm-hmm. to, you know, unless you're a big massive studio with the time to invest in it and you build your own engine and then you've got to obviously make your own physics engine within that right. or, you know, buy a third party. Uh, implementation mm-hmm. you know use the havoc physics engine or something like that um but i don't know i find i've always been interested in how things work and mm-hmm. sort of because it's more i'm more of a hobby developer right I, I like to spend that extra time i'm less interested myself in creating an end product than exploring mm-hmm. everything inside it that makes it tick oh interesting um yeah so you know I might play a game and just look at it and be like, Oh, I wonder how they've done that. And then I'll try and sort of debunk how they might've done it. And then I'll see if I can sort of replicate it. Um, right. That's, that's what I mostly like to, to do these days. And I think a lot of that comes down to because so many games these days are at their core, very familiar or the same, you mm-hmm. know, it's like yeah. every year there's a call of duty and it's the same, but Oh, look skins. And to me, that doesn't mean anything. Um, and you've got all the groundwork done. That's just sort of churning out the same stuff on a conveyor belt. And that's not something I'm interested in. Right, um, right. So, yeah, yeah I like to really understand how things tick and focus, like you said, on the, the gameplay and um, mm-hmm. experiment. Yeah. Right. Um, speaking of experiments, have you are you familiar with Ghost Song? Ghost yeah, I'll put a link. Song. Yeah. I am not. Um, I know it's out on Steam now. Uh, let's see here. Um, I've been playing Starfield like every man and their pet. What, what was that? I've been I've been playing Starfield like every man ah. and their pet. It's an Aussie phrase. Every saying every man and their dog. So it's just like meaning everyone. <laughs> <laughs> There's a I link if, first, if you, some if you didn't find it. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. 2D side-scroller sci-fi game. Yeah. So this game started out... Um, 
Hold on. I'm trying to think of the name of the engine. Um, what is it? It, it was a kind of a... Studio? No, it was kind of a no-code game engine. Um, it was free. Uh, Stencil. It was on Stencil. Oh, okay. You familiar with that one? Uh, it rings a slight familiarity, but I can't say I fully actually remember it, no. Okay. Here. Here's a link. I like so how the I... Google page... <laughs> Make iPhone, iPad, Android, and Flash games. Flash has been <laughs> defunct for how many years now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's funny. Yeah, when you actually go to it, it doesn't mention the Flash part anymore. But I think it's hilarious that it's still... Um, yeah, Google still remembers. Google, <laughs> Google remembers Google everything. Remembers, Remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he started on this, and it was Logic Blocks. Very similar to, like, Scratch. Um, mm-hmm. It's coding, but it's, you know, um, not typing it out. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, he was on that. It is actually for, uh... using Scratch. It extends it, apparently. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, hmm. He was on there for a long time, and the game looked way bigger. I wonder if I can find it on their forum. Let me look. Ghost song. Wonder if it's still on there. Uh. He. Yeah. So that game, I've been watching that game forever, dude. Like. It was like 2016, I think, originally, or even before 2016. Uh, big gifts ahead. Um, I think they're the best types of um, development projects. The the passion projects. I think that's yeah. at its core. I think if you're gonna do anything as an artistic hobby or an artistic creation, you know, uh-huh. you want to sort of keep it true to yourself. You don't. And I right. think that's why I never sort of went or tried to go big with game developments and stuff because I don't mm-hmm. want to have to create something and then pander to what everybody else wants. You know, it's sort of like yeah. I've got a vision for what I want to do. And, then, you know, you get people mm-hmm. saying, oh, I get two less FPS than I should for this. What's going on? This game sucks. <laughs> Zero out of ten. And then you get review bombed. And um... then they mass install my game and charge me 20 cents because it was made in Unity. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so then they send me a bill for a hundred dollars because they just install bombed me yeah (laughs) right right oh my god dude that's funny yeah uh anyway so so he started out on stencil and then moved it to unity um where he finished it and his art style obviously changed over time um but he found a way to to use spine i think and combine it with because he does he did all the the artwork like hand drawn everything uh he's more an artist than a programmer um so he had people you know help him out with code and things like that to make it make it work but anyway so he's always iterating and even though it's launched he's still looking to add like more weapons and more you know stuff like that to it so um when you were talking about um kind of how it works and just you know making stuff uh he does a lot of a lot of like um making new assets and animations and monsters and just uh, i think it's just fun for him 
Um, he's the only person I've seen take this long on a game and not seem like he's completely dead at the end of it. Um, because I've seen a couple other people launch games that took them like five or six years to do, and they're just like burnt out and they feel like um committing, you know, suicide and <laughs> it's just mm. mentally yeah, it's... you know, completely drained mentally. Um Yep. Some even go through that and don't finish. Um Right. Yeah. You know. I don't yep. know if you ever heard of li- limit theory. Did you ever hear about mm-hmm. that? Mm-mm. No, um, was it a game? <clears throat> massive procedural game before sort of procedural games were all the rage. Okay. And um, so much promise, but so much scope, and the scope just kept growing and growing. And then he started to experience the mental health problems and the yeah the burnout and everything that sort of comes from that. So right. he ended up having to um, you know, because he went through a kick. He was early days Kickstarter. Went through mm-hmm. a Kickstarter campaign for it and everything, so right. it obviously fell fell through, and there was a lot of rage about that and stuff too. But a sure. lot of the you know hardcore people that sort of just kept following since the beginning were sort of you know always supportive of him, saying you know we we, we get it, you know because yeah he went yeah. Through. Um, but yeah, that was entirely procedural, and yeah, like you said, um, you know, just so long working on it and just the complete burnout and just, I don't know if he had suicidal thoughts or anything, but he got quite dark. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's a trap that can be, that fo- people fall into quite easy. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I followed um, a little development team. I think there was maybe five people working on it at the max. Um I think they had kickstarted the game. It was called Anne, A-N-N-E. Um, it is on Steam, and uh, the team basically fell apart. They, they, it was in, I think it might have been in early access or something like that, or. Yeah, um, I'm looking at it now. It's still in early access, apparently. Okay, but the, 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 the guy is back to, to doing work on it. The, the main guy. Okay. Is actually, but I mean, he took like a year or two off. Um, he, they, you know, so I followed that game forever. I thought it looked great. It, it was fun to play and I love the art style. And, you know, it is what it is when, when you have to step away from something, you know, yeah. you just, you have to do it for you regardless of, you know, kind of the situation, but at least he's, trying to make it right. Um, plus, you know, it, the project is pretty close to done. I think at this point, um, I've played a few builds. I haven't beat it yet, but, um, you know, it's, it's a blast to play. I just haven't, uh, haven't gone through and finished it yet. Um, but then I, and so I always check on these games. I'm like, okay, what are they doing? You know, are they coming back to it? Am I actually going to get a finished game <laughs> at some point? <laughs> You know, just kind of, kind of seeing what's up, and I saw that he had started posting updates again. I'm like, oh, this is great news. Um, but you know, sometimes on projects you just kind of have to take a a brain break, as they yep. call <laughs> my son. Yeah, yeah. He's in, he's in school, and they 
they take what they call a brain break every, you know, every so often to just kind of, you know, get up and walk around and relax your head, especially if you've been think, trying to work on something. But um, everybody needs a brain break now and again. And sometimes that that time is much longer than, you know, a week or two. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, in the case of Limit Theory, like I was saying before, you know, he, he went from doing an update every month to then two months, and then it just became six months, and then I don't think there was an update for a year or two. And he basically said, oh, you know, he had to step away from it all because of everything that he had to do to try and, you know, address his mental health and everything like that, um, <clears throat> which I think is quite good because... I mean, obviously, you want to try and follow through with your game and, you know, you've committed to doing that as well. But mm-hmm. it should never, I think, be at the expense of yourself. I don't think it's healthy. Right. Um, but he ended up, because um, he couldn't continue it anymore, just released all the source code. Oh, um, he did? Okay. With, with, yeah. So I think that's that's a good gesture. Um, I agree. Especially, you know, if, if you... You can't because then it gives at least some people something to sort of work off if they want to continue mm-hmm. it. Right. Um, so, yeah. and I still think that's a better way to, to handle it, even though it might leave a sour taste in the mouth. I mean, that's what happened with um, Space Base DF9 as well. Mm. Um, is this, is that, that, is that link, is that the, is that the game you're talking about? Uh, let me have a look. Yes. Yeah, Eltheory.com. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I never yeah. heard of it. So if you look at some of the screenshots, mm-hmm. visually, beautiful game, and it's it's mm-hmm. all procedural. Um Is all it of 3D? that. 3D, yeah, yeah. Fully oh, fully wow. 3D procedural, all the ship combinations and everything. Mm. Um yeah, it was really good, had a lot of people psyched for it. Um oh, cool. but obviously, yeah, it um fell through. Yeah, but sure. Hopefully, he's doing a lot better now, and um, you Which, know, hopefully, um, he's learned from it how to develop something a little bit more longer term, sort of pacing mm-hmm. it, because he pacing he it. went, yeah. you know, tooth and nail right off the the go. You know, he just dedicated so mm-hmm. much time. You know, like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen hour days, and just yeah, plugging away so hardcore at it. Um, yeah. yeah, I get it, but, though. Like. When you yeah. have a, when you have a, a thing in your head, and you just want to mm-hmm. get it out, you know, sometimes it will just drive you to put in like hours and hours and hours, you know. When I did a, uh, I wrote a couple of um, manuscripts um, that I, I had self-published one of them, but um, when when you got when you got something in your head like that, you just, uh, you just want to sit down and you just want to like get it out all of it at once. And it doesn't work like that. You know, you, you have to take breaks. You have to pace yourself. Um, I think that's one of the most important things is, you know, you find a good pace that you can work at and then you hopefully can put it down for, you know, the rest of the day. (laughs) Yep. That's it. And I think also depends on personality, but a lot of people are people pleasers as well. And mm-hmm. when you're developing, especially if you do something like a Kickstarter or early yeah. access, 
and you see you've got 10,000 people that just bought your game and you've got, you know, $200,000 in the pocket and you start to sort of feel, even though you had this plan, there's a sudden pressure to get it out as soon as possible because, oh, I don't mm-hmm. want to disappoint them. Um, which, again, I, I get. But like you mm-hmm. were saying, and like I said earlier, you, you can't do it at the expense of yourself. Stick to your plan. Um, right. You know, stick to your roadmap. If you need to push it out, it happens. I mean, it happens in projects in all aspects of IT. Um, yeah. Not everything hits the deadline. That's just mm-hmm. the reality of it. Software. Build, build your time in from the start. Yeah, exactly. Software. But build your time in from the start. But even then, stress that it's, you know, a preliminary um it could change subject to change this is if nothing else happens because i mean all it takes is you know like covid or any other sickness and you're out for a week or two and then everything falls behind so um sure yeah first and foremost i think is just accepting and realizing first that you know you're always even if you can't see it you're gonna have something that pops up and it's gonna interfere with things so make your initial plan and, and stick to it and yeah. just stick to it. No matter what you might want to push it out early and you know, Oh, I've got an extra few hours this evening. I really want to t- tackle this problem. No, pull mm-hmm. yourself back, give yourself that health break that you may not know you need. Yeah. You know, yeah. go for go for a walk, go outside, get some sun. Um, or, you know, if you've worked ages, probably nighttime by that point. But, um, you <laughs> yeah. know, get, get some get some air. Like, you'd be surprised what a break does. I mean, the amount of coding problems that I have spent three hours or four hours just looking at, just work, trying to work it out, going, what is wrong with this? And mm-hmm. I've gone away and I've had a late lunch at like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. And I've just had, you know, uh, a quick meal and I've come back. And, uh, you know, half an hour later, I come back and then I solve the problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're yeah. just there cursing and flipping off your monitor because you're just <laughs> like, really? I spent three to four hours on this before and I couldn't get it. And now I've just done it in 10 minutes. And, you know, th- there's some science in that as well. You you need that that yeah. refresher. Yeah. It's almost, that's... Like the, um, it's almost like the tunnel vision. You know, the, the more you chase what's at the end there, the more you sort of funnel yourself in, you miss the other stuff that's around you and the the target just keeps getting further and further away without, you know, right. Yeah. That's, it's pretty nuts how that works. Um, but there's definitely some science behind that. And, um, I've often found, you know, walking away from a problem, uh, is a good way to solve it. (laughs) It, that definitely happens. Um, so what, um, you said you're you're teaching web development now. So, well, I, I wear a lot of hats at the moment. So, mm-hmm. as you would have seen on my my LinkedIn, so I work for a, a training organization called Lumify Group. So, mm. um, it's basically like a, a college university, I guess equivalent you would have over there in the states. But okay, so we have different levels of accredited courses um, that we provide for students to to learn and that's a nationally recognized qualification so um you know we've got certificate three certificate four and diploma and then you have bachelor where you'd go to a university and stuff like that so um but yeah so we do a range of different courses they're all like it and management um you know software development we're doing a programming qualification at the moment 
mm-hmm. um, which is Python and Java. Then we've got the full stack web development. So I teach all of them because um, okay. I also I also write them. So I sort of wear, like I said before, a lot of different hats. Yeah. Because um, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of businesses out there that write course material, and it's quite cheap. And for a lot of businesses, because they don't have the sort of technical knowledge, they just view mm-hmm. all the, the mapping and they go, okay, cool. This, you know, has to teach X, Y, Z, one, two, three. I can see that these topics are covered. Cool. But when you actually have the skill set and you look in it, you look at it and you go, well, what the heck is this? <laughs> because mm-hmm. it doesn't actually teach anything. It just talks about it. Right. Um, so, so, yeah. So I write the the courses for for the organization and i teach some of them as well so i'm a full stack web dev um and the programming one at the moment as well oh okay cool that's awesome um how long you been doing that now so uh as a career since 2015 so been going since then um i have done some classroom teaching in between as well um because i'm a qualified um elementary and high school teacher as well so um Mm. so i did a a stint doing that as well um before i actually came back to to doing the it teaching because it's really that that teaching at its core that i I really like and the the psychology of the learning seeing the little light bulbs go off in people's heads but it is obviously um a strong passion of mine and always has been as well so yeah, I do remember so yeah, you having to take some years. sort of a break, um, or not a break, but I don't know what happened, um, but where you wound up um, teaching uh, for a school versus teaching IT. What was the question? Sorry, you you wanting a comparison? Oh, no, 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 no. No, I was just yeah. saying that I, I, I vaguely remember you talking about having to switch over to Oh, yes. Yeah, so there was a previous organization that I was training at, and then they had to close up shop. Right. Um, I so I trained all the students out and helped tie everything off. And then, yeah, I went to university for a few years, and that's where I got um, the, the teaching degree. So that's the formal mm-hmm. uh, elementary and high school degree. So I oh, can okay. teach both of those. And nice. then I did a stint in the classroom there. Um teaching kids you know all the the core subjects including Mm -hmm. it um and then yeah there was another opportunity to to teach the the it again so i took that um and then that's evolved um into now also writing the material which i think is probably for for me it's the best thing Mm. I, i love what i do um because, like I said, the amount of times, you know, as an IT professional, you go to an organization for some professional development and you look at the material and you go, no, <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. that's not accurate. I get what they're trying to say, but that's that's uh-huh. not quite right. Uh, um, more often than you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But because I'm sort of, I teach it, but I can write it as well, I actually get to directly influence that and give the best outcomes for the students, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. our courses, they have to follow uh, a government training framework. So, you know, okay. the, the government 
goes and um, meets with relevant parties and industry consultants and they mm. determine, you know, oh, these are the requirements for, for this particular uh, subject, this unit for this qualification. So there might be 20 units that someone has to study and in each one of those they'll have a set of requirements. Some of them, you know, I look at it and you go, no, that's that's not really necessary. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there yeah. was, for example, there was a, because um, I know you know your web languages as well, don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a unit on markup languages, but it was very mm-hmm. HTML uh, related because oh. obviously it's yeah. a markup language. But then there was something about... Um, Oh, I'm trying to remember what it was that's, now. That's weird. It was. Sorry, what's weird? Oh no, the <laughs> that it was on markup languages, not just like. <laughs> oh yeah, well there, there was a, it was a, sort of an introductory unit to teach people HTML5 and XHTML oh, gotcha. because it's mm-hmm. a good starting point to learn, you know, yeah, languages yeah, yeah. by learning your markup first. But the weirdest thing, like they weren't weird. Um, the weird thing was, um. I think it was in the XML component. They had to learn mm-hmm. something about, um, oh, what was it? It was a vir- virtual reality markup language. Oh, and I'm just thinking, <laughs> why? <laughs> this is, this is, it's a markup not, language, sure, but it's got no contextual relevance. <laughs> why? Why do we need this? Why? Uh, we so, are just not there yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, it was basically funny. when you, you look it up, um, you know, it was it was to do with um, oh, I don't even remember now. That's how irrelevant it was. <laughs> but it was basically it was something to do with like you know when you write your manifest files and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. are automatically yeah. generated normally. So it's again right. irrelevant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was really I think just to have context of you know this is something XML can be used for as well. Sure, um, sure. But I don't get why they needed to, to know that. It's not yeah. relevant. That's so, so yeah. But, you know, being able to, you know, you might go to a third party and they might have written, <clears throat> excuse me, three three pages of just random context uh, just around that, which just explains what it is, but is right. more than they ever needed to know for the level that they're studying. Um, <laughs> it just blows people's heads up because they don't understand what it's about. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, uh, (laughs) a lot of fun there having to to pull apart stuff and work out to what level needs to be covered and how to sort of relate it and give it a context. So, you know, for that example, because it's irrelevant, I think, okay, how do I make it relevant? Mm -hmm. So then, you know, you make a, you make a part of a chapter talking about, you know, different types of markup languages and then providing an example and then that sort of ticks the box. Yes, good, they understand that form of language and right, right. That, so. Now have you do you uh do you do any Android development or have you done any Android development? I did myself a brief amount of Android development, yeah, using yeah. Java just with Android Studio. Hmm. Um I also did a little bit uh, using, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's even in use anymore, but, um, Cordova, Apache Cordova. Oh yeah. Cordova. I'm familiar yeah. with it. Yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. how widely it's still, still used, but, um. I don't know if it's widespread. I think it's still around, but, but I think, let me see. Yeah. Cordova. 
think is that the one that's called something else now? Apache Cordova, maybe not. No, Cordova is oh, still, still around. Yeah. Um. Oh no. Um. Hmm. Phone gap. What is it? It was phone oh phone gap. gap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phone gap. That was right. Yeah. Yeah. Cordova. Um. But I've built. Around. I've built some things. Uh, in that as well, because obviously that's just a wrapper. So mm. then you can utilize your existing stack languages. So, you know, your HTML, CSS, and your JavaScript. And I mean, you I like can do logo. all sorts of 2D games with that. Yeah. Um, like I said before, that's where I did the, the star field that generates 500 different stars and oh, saves yeah. the configuration. And, you know, there's that. different temperatures and types, and you can. Nice. Um, you know, click on them and it zooms in. You get like a solar system and you can like set all the planet. And because it was only just a debugging type uh, extent that I got to, but you mm-hmm. know, you had a little triangle as your ship and you'd click on one and get your pop ups and UIs that I couldn't do in Construct 2. Um, <laughs> right. When I had the freedom to, to code yeah. it all myself. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that was, that was good fun. I had to, um, pause that for a while though because it just started getting a bit too intensive to, to run sure. in the browser um yeah. but i still got the script around and then there was the um i actually built it for a um uh it was a portfolio piece for when i was going for employment i built a little uh it was almost like a 2d top-down splinter cell uh stealth oh, okay. game so so it was sort of a grid-based maze that would generate and you'd have two guards walking around that try to find you um once they once they see you at the end of the corridor you know they start running after you because you know they sound the alarm so mm-hmm. you got to try and then try and make it to the exit without being spotted or <laughs> get caught so yeah. that was um that was a bit easier to write in um small that sounds like fun hmm uh- what about games? Have you played any games lately? Yeah, so playing a lot of Starfield at the moment. Okay. Um, Full stop. So you, would have... <laughs> <laughs> you, you haven't? You don't want spoilers? I have not played Starfield yet. I am right. I'm giving it the year um, because the track record of games coming out... Um, in the past, say, three to four years has been terrible. And they release seemingly half done or unfinished in areas. So I've taken to not buying a game until it's been out for a year. And then I'll buy it because it'll have, you know, it'll have been patched. Um, Content it's missing will have been added in. Um, hopefully, <laughs> um, so I've, I've looked at it. Um, I'm still kind of watching the news in relation to all the, uh, you know, the various backlash over various things. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a bit it has, silly. It has mixed reviews. Um, well, with some of the things, okay. Like it. If it's game related, I totally it totally makes sense. Like um, the planets, so, so, you know, I've without playing it, I don't know, but I've seen and heard that they're very unfinished. Um, you know, mm. there's 
There's a lot of loading screens. I think, I, I think the problem is that they hyped the game really high, made it sound like it was going to be the next um, No Man's Sky, and then in implementation, it's not. Well, it depends. I, I sort of. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, and I think that that's that's part of the part of the backlash. Yes. Um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of it being reality versus expectation. I think the danger with any sort of hype, I mean, it's a danger, but it's also an inherent benefit because hype is great for marketing because right. you say a few choice things and everyone takes what they want from it. Sure. But that's also an yep. inherent risk when it launches because then they mm-hmm. go, hang on, you said X, Y, Z, this isn't the case in my perspective. Right. So that's the danger you run into. But, you know, ultimately, if they've made a sale off it, it's successful marketing. Um, yeah. I love marketing, <laughs> if you can't right, tell. Right, um, yeah. we're, we're it's playing. It's but, yeah, it, it is um, It is basically, if I was to describe it, it's, it is very much a NASA mixed with No Man's Sky mixed with your, your typical Bethesda single-player experience, I would combine right. them. It's it's not purely a No Man's Sky. And I mean, if mm-hmm. it was to be another No Man's Sky, I don't think it would be as good because then you've just got a clone. No one wants a clone. Why? Um, it well, wouldn't have done nearly as well. But <clears throat> I probably... You said... Like, I, if it was more like No Man's Sky in some aspects, I'd have been more interested in it. Mainly because... Well, it is. Well... Yeah, but like okay, you can't seamlessly fly from planet to surface. It's a loading right. screen. You do have yeah, a nice yeah, animation of your ship taking off, but it's not seamless to mm-hmm. and fro. the The planet, uh, the spaceship is used in space for combat purposes. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of my more gripes. Uh, the yeah, space yeah. combat feels a little bit swimmy. Everything's okay, sort of just swimming sure. around as a tadpole. Right. Um, right. Doesn't feel spacey. Like, it should be more... Um... It f- doesn't feel as spacey. It's sort of... Your ship sort of has a sweet spot uh, mm. in terms of its speed, whereby you can then obviously pivot a lot easier. And if you go too fast, obviously mm. your turning suffers as a result, which which is normal. Um but as Would a you... result, a lot of the AI ships as well sort of try to stay in that sweet spot. So you end up sort of doing these like yeah. left and right sort of wiggles <laughs> to a degree, yeah. Yeah, trying it... to, to line them up and stuff. Okay, okay. Yeah, that that's weird. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, so no the space combat was, was kind of weird too. Like, I'd prefer yes. a little more realism. Yes, where, you know, use, using thrusters and things like that to maneuver. Um, yep. And your inertia carries you forward, so you, mm-hmm. you pivot and thrust in the opposite direction to counter it. Yeah. Right, right. I'm the same. You should check out, if you like that sort of stuff, check out, there's a there's a procedural game called Avorian. A-V-O-R-I-O-N. It's, it's sort of like the X series combined with EVE Online. Oh. But you can play it single player or multiplayer. You can have stations, your ships all you build it all yourself. <clears throat> excuse that, me. That's... You build your ship all yourself, mm-hmm. like space engineers. Um, you mine asteroids and blow them to bits, but 
it generates all the factions and the space around you randomly and there's like 10,000 odd sectors because it's all procedural so mm-hmm. um but as, as far as to go back to the the starfield being like no man's sky mm-hmm. it, it is you know you, you choose any one of the planets that get generated and you can choose where to land on that planet uh when you land there the, the planet itself has a few different locations that can be randomly spawned mm-hmm. um, to, to go explore. So everywhere you sort of land on a planet is like a massive set of grids, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, any number of those can be different locations. Those locations, just like No Man's Sky, uh, yeah. are built off prefabs, basically. So, you know, you might go to three different planets and uh you'll find the you might happen to find the same looking mine uh twice you know but that's the reality of the procedural generation because unless you're going to generate even the the models for those procedurally that's a different story but um and you've still got to scan all your flora and your fauna and uh your resources uh, you build your outposts on it as well, and you mine the resources out of the ground, and you can set up cargo networks between your um your bases there. I haven't done that part yet. Um, okay, okay. But yeah, yeah uh, so like so looks... that all sounds like No Man's Sky to me because I played No Man's Sky. Um, right. I'd say yeah. the 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 part that isn't is the 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 fluidity between going from space to planet and back up. Um, having to, having to fly to space to land on a different part of the planet, um, and not being able to just fly through the planet. And again, it's, it's the expectation versus reality. Um, when they, when they marketed it, it seemed to sound more like no man's sky in that regard where, you know, and honestly, there are parts about no man's sky that I do not like. And it's aesthetic, aesthetic. Aesthetics, yeah. Um, I don't like the sort of like cheesy alieny kind of aesthetic. So yes. no man, no man's sky that looked and felt more like Starfield would have worked for me. I'd have gladly played it. Mm. Um, well, I think it might hit a sweet spot for you still, but like you said, it you probably would. But I think, um, yeah, I'll give it some time and you know there are just kind of right right it's bethesda i mean (laughs) i i also don't like the fact that bethesda seems to rely on its modding community to make its game better um yeah that's that's a good topic uh i'm i'm sort of 50 50 not because i like to sit on the fence it hurts um i think you do i think you're a fence sitter <laughs> you take that back. You don't know me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I just I'm very much a devil's advocate. So it's like you tell me something, I'll pitch the opposite because I like to consider all angles. So sure. Um, yeah. So for me, what was the topic again? I've lost my train of thought um, again. <laughs> let me think. Uh, shit. No Man's Sky. Oh, Is modding, like, modding, Bethesda, modding, modding yeah. making the, the games Bethesda better. And modding. Because, yeah. I mean, I get yes, but you got to remember as well, compared to the early 90s and the late 80s, games are so much more complicated now. So there's mm-hmm. always going to be more bugs. A lot of people like to look back and go, oh, you know, when I used to play 
Rollercoaster Tycoon back in 93, 94, whenever that came out. It wouldn't have been that. It would have been like 98. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, oh, a lot less bugs then. You know, one or two patches and it was gold. And, you know, it's like, yeah, but that game was less complicated. Sure. Also, fun fact, that game was written in assembly. Um, <laughs> so, uh, okay, I'm sorry. Crazy. There's nothing written in assembly that is uh, not that complicated. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> assembly in itself is complicated. Uh, but, um in terms of compared to, you know, a game written in assembly from the nineties compared to something that's written in C plus plus now, like sure. a lot of the gameplay mechanics and stuff is so much more complicated. Mm-hmm. And that's true. So, you know, you, you're going to get a lot of problems as a result mm-hmm. of that. I mean, and you've only got so much time because these days you got people with pitchforks banging down your door. If you're 10 minutes late releasing your game on the day it was meant to, well, so part of part of that is that these companies are beholden to shareholders, and yes, you have the shareholders on the ba- in the background, you know, release the game, release the game, because you know they make money when they you know they release games. Of course. So then you know they got that pressure. Then on the front end, you know they've they've gone and marketed the game out the ass um cr- to crazy you know crazy levels and then they wonder why <laughs> they get backlash when their game doesn't hold up to uh to standards or you know yeah 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 no i understand that but, so it's, um, it's kind of like they're they're stuck you know between a rock and a hard yeah. place of their own creation well um, that's that's it you know either way someone's going to be angry. So it's like, right. well... Yeah, you can't please everybody. So sure. you got to choose your stakeholder because, I mean, they're mm-hmm. the ones that funded you in the first place. So Right. Um, right. But in terms of the Bethesda and needing people to make their games good, you, you, you could <laughs> argue as well, though, that, and this is my perspective of it, I think Bethesda make great core experiences. Mm-hmm. I think they build really great frameworks for you to build off of. That's mm-hmm. the way that I sort of view it. I mean, you know, could there be a bit more Q&A? Yeah. Um, not Q&A, QA, sorry. But um, there could be more, you know, sure. But I mean, you know, do you really want to delay your game for another 12 months, lose more hype, lose more audience? No. So, mm. um, And your stakeholders want it out as well, especially if you have to keep delaying it beforehand anyway, because the 6th of September wasn't the original date. Um so you know you got all of that as well but you know ultimately i think every bethesda game that's been released from morrowind onwards you know so you've got your morrowind oblivion skyrim and now starfield they they build a great core experience you know you've got good character development to a degree Mm -hmm. you've got beautiful world design that inspires you've got um you you know your base gameplay mechanics are generally good they're everything that they're fun to play off the bat bugs withstanding they're they're fun to play Mm -hmm. so they still need fixes obviously and a bit more polish and yes people need to do that but for me i guess it's because you know you might be the same as a developer though but i i just see it as an opportunity it's like oh cool i get to i can go do this now you know it's like oh they didn't add a survival system good they've got food and water in the game i'll go make a survival system right Um, right Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I can change the textures of this. I mean, they joke around in Starfield about how sandwiches have so much worth. It's like, cool, I'll go make some subway textures. 
um, mega <laughs> subway ship. You know, you can go deliver your sandwiches. So you sort of get this freedom with that because the scope is so open. You're yeah. obviously always going to have problems with such an open scope as well. But I mm. think for what they do, I think they do it really, really well. Yeah, that's that's, that's fair. Um, there are entire games built on uh, Skyrim, built on top of Skyrim. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've downloaded a couple of them that are fantastic. Um, you know, entire campaigns with all new, you know, characters and, um, you know, graphic mods and all that stuff. So, you know, the game looks way better than Bethesda ever intended. Um, so I, I guess on one hand, I have to applaud Bethesda for allowing the kind of, uh, creativity um, for somebody to pick up their game and then make a, ho- a whole other game or, you know, make, fix something that, oh, you know, it could use this. So let's do that. You know, like you were saying with the, mm. with the survival yeah, to, to tweak to your personal taste. It's not necessarily right. broken, but you can make it yours. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. You can make it yours. Um, and they've done that, I think pretty much with every game that, to my knowledge. Um, so I do have to give them some props for that because that's um, a lot of games don't do that. You know, you get the experience that they make. Um, granted, those other games also um, tend to try to make it more polished. <laughs> um, and I think that in some aspects, Bethesda has gotten lazy um, with the on the polish end of things. Um, they're like, oh, it mostly works. Throw it out there. Um, you know, expecting the community to polish it now that, you know, they've gotten it such a large community to that does that kind of thing. They just enjoy it or whatever. Um, but the fact that a community can polish it and, you know, it's not against the terms of service, you know, it's um, they provide tools for the community to do it, I think is a, that's pretty awesome. Um, Yeah. And I think an important thing to reflect on as well is we don't necessarily know that, you know, they view QA as a sort of a lazy thing and go, well, let's just throw it out there and let them fix it. Yeah, sure. Like like, like you said, they're, they're, they're between two rocks. You've got the the fans knocking the door down and you've got the Mm -hmm. the stakeholders behind the other door saying, no, release it. Shove it it out, shove it out. And, I think anyone who's an inherently an artist or a creative mm-hmm. wants to have their vision be a hundred percent perfect and mm-hmm. will struggle with the reality of, well, we've got to get it out at some point and it's not entirely how we want it. Right. Um, yeah. There are concessions and, you make when you, yeah. when you deliver. Software. Yeah. So, like I mean, I think that's, yeah, a, that's a I reckon part of, sorry, continue. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that's a normal part of software development. Um, you have to, yeah, you have to find the, uh, the sweet spot. Sweet spot. Mm. <laughs> As you well, said. Well, earlier. that's it. So, so it's not necessarily like you know. I'm sure there will be some developers that sort of go, well, you know, we we've done enough. I think the context is the important thing. They might go, oh, you know, we've done enough QA testing for now. You know, we know there's some bugs, but. Eh, they'll fix it. That, I would argue, is sort of a lazy approach. But if it's sort of, you know, well, we know there's bugs. We need to try and do 12-hour days, 14-hour days to try and smack as many of these as possible 
but ultimately we have to release by this date. If that's the internal discussion happening, if it ships with bugs after that, I don't think that's laziness. I think that's purely just, mm-hmm. you know, this was the last date we could push back to. We've only got so many hours and so many staff because the other flip side is, you know, if they go around and talk to the developers and say, oh, okay, well, we need you all to do 20-hour days for the next two weeks to iron out all these bugs, then they're going to get all mm-hmm. the negative press and sure. people wanting to leave or whatever right, else right. because of the oh, massive doing crunches. Crunch. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, CD Projekt Red got in the... In, uh, uh-huh. They go in the weeds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, the, the funny thing about CD Projekt Red is they were, uh, they were sort of the gamers' darling as far as uh, yes. development houses because, you know, when they made a game, they put it out and it was great, and then they supported the game and put out more stuff for it. And I think, uh, when they came out with, um, what was it? What's the, the game Witcher. they launched? No, the one after that. The the, oh, Cyberpunk. Uh, so when they came out with Cyberpunk, yeah, uh, Cyberpunk was you know a half finished mess, and yes. you know they they took the time to make it right after they you know stepped in the shit. Um, and you know from from and I still haven't bought it yet, but from what I can tell, um, the game is fantastic now they've you know obviously no game is bug free i you know i expect there to be bugs um i expect every game to have some sort of bugs i mean i run into them playing a game from 2008 and the game is still super fun and you know i'm playing dead space and even the even the non um uh remastered version is great um, yeah, but you know, it still has bugs and, um, issues and things like that, that just, you know, happens. So I, I don't expect Bethesda to put out a game that's completely bug free and, um, or any of that kind of stuff. And if, if they released a game where their campaign is solid, um, and you know, I think, like I said, a lot of it had to do with the hype and the expectation versus the reality. Um, nobody expected it to be Skyrim in space. I think everybody expected it to be uh, No Man's Sky with yeah. you know, better with better graphics and yeah. more, re- and it is more of a degree. realistic approach. Right. Sure. Yeah. You know, to a yeah. point. Um, yes, I think it's a blend. Like, everybody like was like, screen. holy shit, all the loading screens. You know, nobody was expecting that. Everybody was expecting more fluidity, you know, going up to space and going down to planets. Kind of like No Man's Sky, you know. Um, in fact, part of the fun for me of No Man's Sky is just flying into and out of planets. <laughs> well, yeah, and it, I mean conceptually it is a really hard thing to pull off though um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. very few games have done it i can only think of two it's true uh no man's sky most people would only think of no man's sky but i think there's another one called uh evacron i don't know if you've heard of that um Um, that was an easy game as well um i'll actually put it into the oh yeah do i'll get a link for you i want to take a peek um Um, but yeah trying to add uh 
stuff we've talked about here so I can stick it in my show notes. But um, okay. Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Um, okay. I may have to uh, jump off soon as well. Yeah, yeah, I figured. Just, just oh, so wow, you know. this, is, um, this is pretty wild. Yeah, I just had a call from my, my boss in the background there. Um, <laughs> yeah, wanting to update me on something, but... Yeah, there's there's a bunch of those different Evocron games, um, but yeah, it's it's an indie game as well. Hmm. Um, but yeah, you that one I think it's that one mercenary that I linked you to, but it's got mm-hmm. the the seamless um, planet to, okay. to space and the, a, a realistic scale, so it takes you quite a while to fly to the planet and down. Okay. But um, even on that page there, if you look at the the screenshots, like you can you can see how there's, you know, a planet side and a, a space side as well. And yeah, they're all, um, that's all seamless. So you can fly up and fly down to it. Oh, that's and, wild. You know, before No Man's Sky, that's the only one I can think of that ever really did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, I can't think of um, many games that have done that. So I, I also, I understand that that is very, very difficult to do. Um. Mm. So yeah, because there there has only been a couple. I've seen some some sort of development where you know they're making a system that can do it, um, but I don't think that. Yeah, um, I mean, you would think that a a large company like Bethesda with a whole bunch of programmers could pull something off, but um, it's definitely you know a difficult system. Based yeah, on the fact I that think... there's only two games that we can come up with, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. I think, I think one of the bigger challenges, I think, I mean, obviously, without being able to see any of the back end, I think it's mainly because it's not all procedural. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. the the biggest sort of stumbling block because then you right. sort of, if the entire game was procedural, then you'd have a lot of your core functions building everything procedurally and you would have all your garbage collection and you, you would build in everything you needed to to progressively generate and remove mm-hmm. stuff as part of that whereas if you've got sort of a, a star field where some things are set and some things that aren't then it's sort of you know um like i said i, I can't mm-hmm. entirely say without seeing the back end code but i think sure, it's harder sure. than because because then you've got to sort of switch between two different methods of handling things. Right. And, you know, how do you sort of marry those two to, together? So yeah. rather the traditional loading screen is very much just a, you know, cut uh-huh. everything and then you can um, kill any existing functions and then start to load all your new stuff. So I think it's very much a, a clean way to handle it. Right, um, right. But yes, obviously right. everyone hates loading screens. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, it's not No Man's Sky, damn it. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I, I think it will point. scratch that itch. If, if you're like me and you hated the idea of going to a planet and seeing, you know, these are uh, everything that looks sort of claymation y to a degree, and you find mm-hmm. your first aliens and they're like a, a frog. Right. Um, yeah, I didn't. You know, and I think. I, I mean, I've played 100 hours of Starfield so far. Oh, wow. Um, okay. th- there are bugs, but mm-hmm. and I, I can't say I've gone to a large variety of planets and really 100% surveyed them. I've probably done that for 20-odd. But across those 20-odd, apart from buildings, 
because they're more realistic planets, I think mm-hmm. everything is more spaced out and sporadic to a degree where you don't feel like every planet you go to is such a cookie cutter. Whereas okay. with No Man's Sky, you know, because you've played No Man's Sky, mm-hmm. there's very few sort of types of foliage or tree uh, or creature. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. you can play for several hours, go to different planets and more feasibly run into the exact same thing you've seen already, just with a different name. Mm, yeah, and that's true. It, there's more space between everything in Starfield because the planets are more sort of barren because that's what planets usually are. Right. Um, yeah, so... I think that's where it sort of becomes a little bit more enjoyable because there's fewer Earth-like planets. Um, So you get a lot more... Gas giants and things like that. Diversity, yeah. You can't land on those, though. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) That's what I mean. Yeah, you've got these. (laughs) Mm. Hmm. But, um, yeah, you know, you go land on a moon, it's a moon. It's not going to have, you know... An atmosphere, so you're not going to run mm. into another frog alien that looks the same as this other one. You'll have some <laughs> stations and some pirates and stuff, and right, um, right. you know, some caves okay. and a mine or two. Um, and then you can pick up where you left off and then fly to the other side of the planet and get relatively the same experience. But mm. the buildings look the same, um, because obviously they're, that they're not procedural, but right. yeah, they at least look more realistic and nicer than the, the No Man's Sky ones. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, and I, I assume you can't um, edit the ground and things like that like you can in No Man's. No, it's not voxel-based. Like you can't, you can't so dig that's, nothing, that's eh? the other okay. caveat. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So it's... Um, okay. You can build on top of it, but that's about it. Gotcha. Oh, so you can at least build stuff. Yeah, can, yeah. There's, uh, yeah, there's full chips. outpost building... Yeah, you can build ships. Yeah, you can build ships. They've got like a modular snap system. You can choose like your your, your corridors and gangways and cargo modules and engines and all of that sort of stuff. And, oh, cool. Um, yeah, someone actually abused that. They made a ship because they found that uh, the enemies, they all target your center of mass. So he made a ship. <laughs> With no center of mass. Is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so oh, they just cool. shoot through the middle of it and he never gets hit really. Um, oh, that's nice. Yeah, but yeah, you know, you've got full out, outpost building and you build extractors for minerals to pull them up out of the ground and um, full like habitat domes and stuff like that. And then you, you, hmm. get a, you get a crew member on your ship or you can also put them in an outpost and they manage the outpost for you. Um, hmm. and you okay. Can, yeah, go from there. That sounds fun. Yeah. Um, I would say I haven't looked at the outpost building, but I think it's maybe not quite as diverse as the No Man's Sky ones, because obviously they have landing pads and um, mm, yeah. other stuff like that as well. But um, there are a lot more realistic sort of modules, I think, in, in right, Southfield. Right. It scratches that particular itch for me where I like to explore endlessly and go off the beaten path. I want to explore moons and planets and yeah and uh chart the wilderness so to speak and it that feels more authentic in starfield to me than it does in no man's sky um okay graphically it's really nice as well and the art style 
scratches the NASA punk that they call it itch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Because that's what I like, not sort of cartoon plasticini type. Right, of Sky right. Stuff, so. That was um, that was my biggest uh, gripe with No Man's Sky. Is I was actually expecting it based on some of the you know I didn't know about the aliens and stuff when I started playing it, and then I'm like, man, this is kind of you know, pl- like you said, kind of plasticky kind of. Yeah, uh, they've got some kind of like I don't know, kind of eighties <laughs> vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, I, I get the. I do think the aliens, to a degree, are realistic because the different environmental conditions would result mm-hmm. in different development of life on those planets. Sure. Um, yeah. So it would obviously develop a lot differently and be very mm-hmm. weird. But yeah, like you said, it's more. The, the textures and the art style of it itself and how right. they're comprised yeah. um, as a package sort of doesn't seem as crisp and realistic as you might want from a game that, you know, you can go into space up and down and stuff. Whereas, exactly. yeah, like I said, I think um, Starfield hits that sweet spot of it's futuristic, but still modern. It comes mm. across as viable. It's almost like okay. a Star Trek versus Star Wars, where it's, you know, one's fantasy, one's semi-realistic. Right, um, right. So for me, hmm. yeah, that's um, that. Okay. But yeah, like like you were saying, wait, wait, and um, pick it up later when there's been some patches. I've run into a few bugs in my my 100 hours. My ship is frequently chased by an asteroid. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're in uh, space and you're fine and you're flying around doing whatever. And then you, you go to jump to another system and you get sort of the cutscene animation and yeah. there's an asteroid lurking behind you uh, oh, in the cutscene as, as you're flying away. You just need like, you just need some Jaws music and it'd be perfect. <laughs> so, um, it'd be great. It's so, like some alien music. Uh, yeah. Predator. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and you know, I, I had a I had a quest that um, I had to walk a long way for because there's no ground vehicles, mm. um, which is a point of contention. Uh, I understand their reasoning behind it, but it does take a long time to get to some places. Um, you know, planet hopping at 1.3 gra- uh, gravity, two uh, k's away. You know, takes yeah. a couple of minutes and. Some people's idea of fun is not that. Um, <laughs> whereas, you know, if we could have just like an all-terrain little segue, you know, right? Um, go bunny hopping off craters or something, that'd speed it up and be a bit more fun. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. So, but uh, where else are going with that? I got really excited by the idea of a segue. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Now I wish I knew. Um... <laughs> anyway. Um, Next time we'll talk about Star Citizen. <laughs> oh. There's not much to talk about on that because there's not much to talk about. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you've played it, you know, the, the Star Citizen would tell you briefly that it's the best thing since sliced bread. Um, but yeah. Yeah. $400 million. I don't know. Nothing I still. F- yeah. I feel like there's a there's the potential obviously there, but it's very mm-hmm. much like 
you know, it's like someone wanting to go to a candy shop and just buy one of every single type of candy. But yeah. I think Star Citizen is a box in that store with one piece of every type of candy. Right. So you yeah. get everything you exactly. want, but it's in a much smaller format than what you originally wanted. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's yeah. like a playground. You've got a little bit of everything you want to do there, but because it's such a small playground, I think you're going to, for most people, inevitably get bored. Right. Um, I think I think it's... it's like, uh, I'm going to go hijack a ship and go shoot people. The definition okay. of scope creep. Yeah, yeah. I um, mean, I didn't have high hopes for it anyway, because Chris Roberts. Um, I, I, cause he's... I, I only knew about it because of... Um, I played the... Um, the other games that he had with uh, Mark Hamill that was in it, Wing Commander Wing series. Commander. Yeah, mm. I played those, and I heard that this was going to be like a new Wing Commander, and I'm like, oh yeah, great! You know, I signed up for the beta and whatnot, and sat and waited. Mm. And I still get emails. Um, and I've I've seen I have a friend that bought a ship and, you know, occasionally plays it, um, but. It's like he loves it, you know, even though it's not done. But I'm not going to pay money for that kind of. I'm not going to invest in that kind of thing because it's an investment at this point. Yes. It's not a game. It's it's an investment. And it's not to me, it's not an investment that's going to ever produce. Um, It hasn't yet. And, you know, it won't. Um, it won't. I'm glad and I didn't. If it, uh, if it's... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. One of those people that bought the $10,000 constellation or whatever. I just, I just, I can't even, you know. Um, mm. I played this game a long time ago, ago called uh, en- Entropy or Entropy? Or en- Entropic Universe, the MMO yeah. one? Yeah, before it was a universe, it was one game. Um, Entropy. Okay. Universe, I think. Let me see. Uh, the Entropy Universe. Yeah, it Entropia used to... Universe. It... Oh, that's not it. What the hell? That is a... What Built in CryEngine 2. What's the... Oh, Entropia. That's the word. Yeah. yeah. Um, It used to be just uh, one MMO. Um, right. And I guess they've kind of branched it out to have, like, different planets and people can build planets and stuff. I don't know. But... It was such a cash sink. Like, it was kind mm-hmm. of... Like, you basically had to put real money in to get anywhere because you did this thing called Sweating Monsters where you ran around and tried to collect sweat off these creatures that would... Um, wow. You could then turn around and sell for money. And that was how newbies So it's only fans. It's, yeah, it was like hours and hours and hours and hours that you'd have to put in to get anywhere. Um, I think I put in, like, ten bucks once. Um to to advance a little bit but that was it um i did play it a lot for a while and there was a good group of like people you know that you could talk to but i don't know it just it i petered out you know i moved on to games that actually uh didn't require you to dump so much money in um to get started and really it's kind it was kind of built around the whole you can make money in game and then take your money out like that whole kind of real cash 
thing. Um, yeah. And very, I never, um, never saw anybody take money out. No. Very money-driven. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Yep, yep. All right, dude. I think we are just about at the end of this. You got anything you want to shout out or... Um, no, no, I, I think, we... I think we're all good. Um, I'd, I'd call out some of my colleagues and work and stuff like that, but we were talking about game development, so <laughs> bit, <laughs> bit off key, bit off key, um, off topic, but yeah, no, so I'm, I'm all good. Just, uh, cheers for inviting me onto the, the, the podcast. Good to, to chat as always. And, uh, um, really hash out some of the, the unity issues and, really talk about a lot of the behind the scenes of you know the implications of that i think it was um a pretty good discussion and good way to get different perspectives yeah maybe i should do a um do like a gaming segment or something do like occasional episodes where we can just pop on and talk about gaming or gaming news or you know yeah yeah i mean it's up to you i mean because i i you know excuse me full stack and everything as well so we can talk about yeah you know programming and cyber security and ai because those are big topics at the moment as well so yeah um, especially ai AI. yeah no (laughs) (laughs) see look we could do a whole podcast on that (laughs) because i think some cases are good for it but yeah yeah there needs to be constraints oh i completely concur with that but uh but yeah let's um we'll 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 schedule another one in a while and maybe we'll get on and talk about some other topics. That'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, too easy. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Citizen Coder Podcast. You can find links to anything we covered in the show notes. If you'd like to sponsor the show, you can reach out to me at info at citizencodercast.com or hit me up on Twitter. Thanks, and as always, I'll see you next time.